Well, if you've been following us with me um, in the past few Sundays, what we've been doing is we've been looking at First Chronicles, and we haven't been going over everything, okay? We haven't been going over every passage or every verse, but I've been going through the book of Chronicles to point out a few things to look at Chronicles as a whole, and pretty much First Chronicles is about the reign of King David, the reign of King David, and that's what we've been looking at in the past few weeks. But we're now here in chapter 29, and I didn't want to leave First Chronicles without looking at the last chapter, the last chapter of First Chronicles. And in this chapter, this is David's final assembly with Israel. And the next thing that David's going to do is that he's going to die. These are King David's final words in his final assembly to Israel. And so, you know, if you've got the last things to say, the last opportunity to address your people, you know that things are going to be very important. You see, because David, all along, he's had this dream. It's been a dream of his since he was the king. And that is, he would be able to see a temple built for his God in Jerusalem. That was his dream. You remember David when he was dealing with the Ark of the Covenant, that Ark that symbolized the presence of God. He was trying to get it into Jerusalem. And then back in chapter 17, when we look, you remember what he thought that as he lived in this palace and he kept that ark in a tent and he said, you know, it's not right that God's dwelling should be in a tent. Let's build him a temple. You remember that? And then you remember that in that chapter, the prophet Nathan goes to David and says, no, you're not going to build the temple, but your son will. And so knowing all this, nevertheless, David spends the rest of his kingly life setting aside his resources, preparing to build this temple, even though he himself will never get to see it built, even though he himself will never be able to worship in it. And so he's assembled all the people of God to talk to them about their giving to the building of this temple. And that's what we're going to look at in the next few weeks. We're going to talk about giving, and what I want to do is I want to look at giving in more practical ways, and then we'll look at more bigger ways in the next couple of weeks. And there's always a problem, isn't there, when I'm talking about giving. Every time a pastor talks about giving, it's uncomfortable. Because, you know, anytime you're dealing with money, it it can get very personal, and it can get very uncomfortable. And anytime I talk about money or talk about giving, many of us think, oh, maybe Pastor Francis wants us to give more, to give more to the church. And that's not what this is all about. Okay, It just happens to be here at the end of 1 Chronicles, at the end of David's life. And so since we're going into the holiday season, the the season of giving, I thought it would be appropriate and and important to address. And this is what we're going to do. Giving is something that Christians do. And I think most of us know this, at least in our our heads, that, that if anyone... Christians ought to be the biggest givers, and certainly not the biggest takers. We know, at least most of us who've been in the church, that we should give, simply because we know, at least spiritually, we've been given so much. And what we're going to do then is, we're going to talk about giving from this passage, but I want you to know, I'm going to give the, the, I'm just going to give the the few pointers from the passage, and we'll look at the bigger things later, but I want you to know this passage is more than just about giving. It's, it's more than just about giving. And so the focus today is not that we should be givers, but the focus today is how. How should we be giving? How do Christians give? We're not asking how much you should give. We're not asking, you know, what you are giving. 
But the question is, how? How are you doing that? And in a summary, the answer is, it's a matter, ultimately, it's a matter of your heart. Four things I see in this passage on how this passage teaches us on how Christians give. Number one, we give willingly. Number two, we give wholeheartedly. And number three, we give joyfully. And last but not least, we give faithfully. Willingly, wholeheartedly, joyfully, and faithfully. Now let's look at this and see where I got all this. We give willingly. Look at verse 5. David asked the people in the congregation, he says, who then will offer willingly? And then later in verse 9, he says, the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. So David asks this question in verse 5, who will offer willingly? He gets the answer in verse 9, the people rejoiced because they gave willingly. Do you hear the emphasis? They had given willingly. With a whole heart, they had offered freely. There's an emphasis on the fact that they gave because they wanted to. They gave because they wanted to. They gave because they desired to. They didn't give under some burdensome compulsion. They didn't give because somehow they felt they were forced to. They didn't give because they were made to feel guilty. They didn't give under peer pressure because everybody else was giving, so they felt they had to give. They gave because they wanted to. And that's the very first thing. Christians willingly give. They actually wanted to give what they gave, and that was important to David. He made it clear that he wanted to prepare to build a temple, and he makes it clear that he wanted people to give willingly. What you will is what you desire. And where do your desires come from? It comes from your heart. David wanted their attitudes of their heart to be one of desire to give. More than what they gave or how much they gave, he wanted the attitudes of their hearts, a desire to give. He didn't want people in the congregation saying, oh, no, here's King David again. He's asking for another handout. Now it's something that I've got to put in. That's not what he wants. You know when you're at the grocery store and you're paying for your groceries and the cashier's ringing you up, and just before she finishes, she asks the question, hey, would you like to donate to so-and-so fund? And it kind of puts you in an awkward position. I'll be very honest. I don't say yes. Oftentimes I say, no, not today. I don't really know what I'm giving to, and so I, I kind of don't, and I kind of don't want to waste my time. But sometimes, maybe once in a while, I should. You know, you walk down the city, you know, one of the streets, and a homeless person comes and asks for money. And, you know, it kind of puts you in that awkward position. Yeah, yeah you know, but I kind of really don't want to. Who knows what he's going to do with it? And oftentimes we just walk by, Right? And that's not what David wants. He doesn't want to put people in this awkward situation. He wants them to actually want to give what they're giving for the building of this temple. Isn't that what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9? Don't give grudgingly under compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. And that's how Christians give. It's a matter of your heart. And we ought to desire to give. In fact, we ought to delight in it. The second thing we see here, not only does Paul or David say we ought to give willingly, but wholeheartedly. Verse 9, the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. 
For with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. When you give, you give not only willingly, but you are giving also wholeheartedly. Now what does that mean exactly, to give wholeheartedly? And I want you to understand this, right? When you give, your giving is a token that reminds us that your whole life, your whole heart, your whole self is given to God. That's what we do when we give our offering. It's not about necessarily how much you give, but whatever you give, you realize I'm giving it wholeheartedly. That this is a token to say I belong to God wholeheartedly. What I give, I give you me. And that's something to think about. It's worth thinking about when you give your tithes or your offerings to anything, to the church, to people, to ministries, during the course of a worship service, to support missions. When we give to support those in need, ministries of mercy, whatever it is, when we give to the Lord, we're saying, Lord, this gift is a token of the fact that all of me belongs to you, and I give all of me to you. And the little that I'm giving here in my offering represents that I've given everything or you've given everything to me by grace. It's a heart issue, isn't it? You can't reflect that in monetary value. So this isn't a fiscal issue or a financial issue. It's a heart issue. You give willingly, wholeheartedly. Thirdly, we look at this passage, we also give joyfully, joyfully. Look at the first and the last parts of uh, verse 9. It begins by saying the people rejoiced. Why? They rejoiced because they gave willingly. The result of their free will giving was joy. And at the end of the verse, we're told David the king rejoiced greatly. In other words, their giving resulted in rejoicing. They delighted, they rejoiced in the giving that they had done. They counted a joy and a privilege to give to the building of the temple. Therefore, they rejoiced having given. And here's what we learn from this. Our giving, whatever that is, is intended to bring us and to make us a part of the joy that God wants us to experience. It shouldn't surprise us. What does the Bible say? It is more blessed to give than to receive. Listen to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus came that our joy may be made complete. And part of that joy is that God intends for us to experience when we give. What did Jesus do? He endured the cross. He despised the shame. In other words, Jesus gave. He gave his life, not out of duty, not just out of responsibility, not out of fear or just obedience, but it says in Hebrews, for joy. He gave himself willingly, wholeheartedly, and with joy. There is a special blessing, a kind of holy happiness, if you will, that is experienced in giving that is better than receiving. Don't get me wrong. I like getting, okay? Just because I say this doesn't mean I don't like presents or gifts and you're never going to get me anything anymore. Uh, I love receiving. 
There's a joy in that, isn't there? There is a joy. There's happiness in this. But there's also a joy in giving. And it's a different kind of joy, isn't it? The joy when I receive, it's in that moment, and I am elated. But after a week or maybe a month, I don't remember that much anymore. But you know the kind of joys that I remember the most? It's when I've made others joyful. It's when I've made others happy. I was on a mission trip in Kazakhstan years ago, and it was the last day of our trip, and I was going back to the States, and, uh, you know, we dealt with kids, little kids. You know, they, they, they were always alone. They didn't have anywhere to go. So we ministered to them, taught them English, so on and so forth. And there was a favorite student of mine, a little, pretty little blonde-haired girl, very good student, and she wanted to say bye. And the only thing I could do, I didn't, I didn't know what I was thinking. I, I should have said bye, I should have prayed, I should have been more godly. But I put my hands in my pocket, and I reached out for whatever change I had. And it was all in Russian, and I gave it to her. I think it probably must have been worth maybe like 3 or $4 at most, U.S., but when I gave it to her, you should have seen the smile on her face. It was a lot for this person. You should have seen the, the, the joy that came over her. It was a few bucks for me, but it was priceless, her smile. It melts your heart. It humbles you. There's a kind of joy in bringing others joy. Right? If you have children, you know this. You know, you love to see the smiles on your children's faces when they receive something that you've given them. It, it warms your heart, doesn't it? And so there's a kind of joy that God wants us to experience, a joy that we don't experience when we receive, but a joy we experience when we give. Okay? Look at verse 14. Here's another reason we, we are joyful when we give. David says, who am I? Who am I? What is my people that we should be able to give this? He's saying this in verse 14. He's saying, how are we able to give as we did? And the answer is this, because we can. Because we've been blessed with so much. We've been given so much that we're put in a position to be able to give to others, to God, to children, to ministries, so on and so forth. It's a blessing, David is saying, that I'm not destitute. That I'm not impoverished, that I'm not unable to help, but I'm able to give. I'm able to do something, and I give, and I can rejoice in that. That in itself, to be in that position, is a blessing. It's worth rejoicing in. And that's what David's reflecting on when he says, who are we that we should be able to give? No wonder they were rejoicing at the thought that they had been given the privilege of being able to give in this way to the worship of God. Right? So we give willingly, we give wholeheartedly, we give joyfully because we can, and last but not least, we give faithfully, faithfully. Christians give faithfully. Now, what do we mean by that? Usually what we mean when we say you give faithfully or you do anything faithfully, it, it means you're consistent. You're always doing it. So we are giving faithfully, it means you're consistently giving you always remember to give, and, and that's important, okay? Don't get me wrong. That's really important. It's a discipline of, of, of faith, we call it. But there's another aspect of what we mean when we say giving faithfully. What is faith? You read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. He tells you, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, 
and a conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of something you hope in and a conviction of something you don't see with your eyes. And if faith is things hoped for and a conviction of things not seen, then David, he gave faithfully. What do I mean? This is a man who hoped in but is never going to set foot in this temple. This is a man who trusted in something he's never going to see built. He's never going to enjoy one worship service in the temple that he's raising funds for. And yet the whole of his life has been given a process of storing away that he may give to this project for the glory of the kingdom of God. He gave now what he faithfully expected to see one day in the future. And this can be radically different from how we give. Because let's be honest, when we give, we want to see the results of what we've given. We want to reap the benefits of what we sow. We want visible, tangible returns on what we invest in, right? But this isn't always the case in Christian giving. And it's not just financially giving either. Think about this. Look, we have day spring ministry going on right now. All right, some of your children are there right now. And to be honest, you're not going to see the investments that's put in by grace or by the teachers or the volunteers when they prepare all the games and they prepare all the lessons and stuff. They just come out. They think they're having fun. You are sowing in something, but you don't see. You trust that one day as they get older, they'll remember some of that. They'll remember the teacher. They'll remember some of the leaders. And it's the same way with our youth group, branch ministries, all the things that the volunteers do. You don't really know what they're getting out of it all the time right there. But you do it. You keep doing it. You hope and you pray that what you're putting in, even though you don't see it by faith, one day you might see its benefits. When I was doing youth group ministry a long, long time ago, we used to have these Friday night meetings every Friday because the parents would have their Friday service. We'd have our Friday service. We'd do a service. And one of these services, some of the kids skipped out. They skipped out, and they went to go party with some other high school kids. You know, the thing is, that youth group back then was like 13 kids. So when three or four guys skip out, you notice. I don't know what they were thinking, right? During praise time and prayer time, they, 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 they kind of snuck out. But there's like three or four guys. They notice. You know, next Sunday, you know what we did? You know what I did with me and the teachers? We took each kid in a room, and we just yelled at them. Who do you think you are? You're just skipping service. Who do you think you are? You ungrateful little punk. You've disappointed me. You've disappointed my church. You've disappointed everything we did. Who do you think you are? And the kids are like this. And I just walked out. Years and years, 20 years, 20-some years goes by. I go to a wedding down in... uh, Central Jersey, and one of the kids is there, except he's like 30 or something, and he's married. He's married. And I see him, and I recognize him because he looks the same. I was like, hey, how's it going? And he's still looking down. (laughs) And he says, Pastor Francis, can I talk to you for a minute? Oh, yeah, sure, sure, what's going on? It's been a long time. He says, you know what? I'm so sorry that I skipped that service. So what are you talking about? I totally forgot what he was talking about. 
Doctor, I'm so sorry. But the guy is in church. He's a youth group teacher now. Right? The guy who skipped is now a youth group teacher, one of the faithful leaders in the church. I didn't see that as possible in that time. You give faithfully. And sometimes you don't experience the benefits right there. But you give faithfully. Those of us who give to Paul and Susan, let's be honest, you don't know what they're doing with your money. You don't know what they're doing. They, they could be doing Mai Tais, you know, somewhere on the, the river there, and, you know, having dates every night. You don't, you don't know. You know how, do, how do we know, right? We get a report here and there, and, you know, he's going to say the same thing. Oh, it's been put to good use. Yeah, you know, you could say that. He's been put to good use, right? He's drinking, and he's, you know, doing all these. You just don't know. But why do we do it? Because we trust that what he's doing will reap the benefits, right? It's faithful giving. And David's life here is to prepare so that he could give something that he himself will never experience, a tangible benefit in his life. And I suggest to you that that's amazing faithful giving. And I want to ask you, are we giving faithfully? Not just consistently, but are we giving in a way that we show that we believe in something that we don't always see? To an end or a purpose, to a kingdom or a glory that we may not see in its full blessings, even in our lifetime? Or are we living and giving in a way that says that we only really care about what is now, in the moment, in this life, what we see, and not in the life to come? You see, that's not a financial issue. That's a faith issue. That's a heart issue. So giving for David is a heart issue. It's a heart issue. And in order to give willingly from your heart, wholeheartedly with all your heart, with joy in your heart, faithfully from your heart, you need a heart of giving. You need a heart of giving. You see, now you see, it's more than what you pull out of your pockets. It's what you hold in your heart that David, that God is concerned for. How do I get this? How do I understand this? How do I know a heart of giving? Well, you look at the cross again. You look at Jesus Christ. You remember Hebrews 12, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and gave his life. You think about what God has done. Nobody made Jesus give his life. He did it willingly. On the cross, he gave you himself. He did it wholeheartedly. He didn't do it grudgingly. Oh, I've got to give my life to these people. No, he did it with joy, Hebrews says. With joy, he endured the cross, and he did it faithfully. He didn't just die for the people in his lifetime. He died for the people in the past. He died for the people in the present. And he gave his life for people like us today. Paul says he died so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake was died and raised. He died so that our hearts would no longer live for itself, but for him who was dead and raised for us. Jesus faithfully gave his life so that you and I might not only experience salvation, whatever that might mean to you, but experience his joy when you experience a change of heart, a heart that moves from always taking, always receiving, always living for yourself to a heart that becomes a giving heart. 
This is very practical spiritual talk here. It's both spiritual and practical. When you know who Jesus Christ is, there's a change of economy in the things that you see. What I think is worth it, what I desire, what I think I need, when you come to the cross, it, it kind of changes a little bit. And I'm going to be very honest. This is hard. We live in a time and a culture relative to others that's very difficult to give from the heart. Paul was visiting uh, maybe last year, and I forget where it was, but we were talking in the church, and somebody said, you know what, I can't retire with $100,000 a year. I can't retire with $100,000. That's too little. And I was like, okay. And Paul looks over and he goes, you can't retire with 100000 Are you crazy? I can retire anymore. The levels are different. We live in a culture where the, we've been the most affluent we've ever been, but it's been the most difficult to give from the heart because of what we think we need, what we want, and what we live for. We have, in this culture, that luxury. We don't worry if we'll have clothes. We worry what color clothes. We worry what size or what brand we'll live. We, we, don't, we don't have to worry about what we'll eat or if we'll eat today. We, do, we just wonder what we're going to eat, how much we could eat, or if we get too fat if we eat. We are so privileged, so blessed that we live in a country where obesity is actually labeled a disease. A disease that's, that's unheard of in many countries around the world. Even our own children have the latest iPhones, the latest iPads, the latest technology, things that we say we need, but that didn't even exist 20 years ago and still doesn't in many parts of the world. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to guilt trip anyone here. All that stuff is good. I love all that stuff. I enjoy every bit of it. They're all blessings in their own way. Most of it in and of itself, they're not, it's nothing that is, is a sin. But don't, don't just tell me you can't really give. Don't just tell me you can't really give. Be honest. Tell me it's because you worry about your security or your future so you can't give. Tell me you have a certain lifestyle in mind for you and for your family and for your children. Tell me you're just trying to keep up with the Joneses and your neighborhoods around you and what they've got so you want the same. Or, or just tell me it's because you're just selfish. But don't just tell me you can't give. You don't have to be a Christian to understand some of these principles of giving. Even non-Christians know how to give with good reason. But if you are a Christian who's been blessed by the presence of God in their lives, who's been given the life of his precious and only begotten son, who's received mercy and grace, unending mercy and grace, who's been made a son and daughter of this king. You've inherited the riches of the kingdom of God. You've got every spiritual blessing that God has as disposable and that everything you have, God gave to you. If you believe all that, if you trust in all that, then don't you have more than anyone a reason to give? And not just give, but from your heart, willingly, wholeheartedly, faithfully, and with joy.
I need to say this carefully, okay? If you haven't been enjoying what you've been giving, not just to the church, but to anything, if you struggle with giving, if you're grudgingly giving, and you're always asking, what am I getting out of this? Don't give. Don't give. Just don't do it. Don't do it. You need to pray. Because you're, you've got more important issues than just your giving. It's your heart. But if you say you're a Christian, don't just tell me you can't give willingly, wholeheartedly, generously, joyfully, faithfully. If you can, it's not because you can. You can. You just won't. And I know the attitude we have is this. Well, I work. I earned it. So it's all mine. Therefore, I can do whatever I want with it. Well, yes, but, but no, not really. Something's off with that attitude. You, the heart is not right. It's not in line with what we confess, who we worship, what we say we believe. That, that, that heart is it's not in line with who we are and what, what we have in Jesus Christ and the fact that he's given everything to us. So don't. Next week, Lisa and Amy are going to come to me and they're going to say, you know, Pastor Francis, the offering went down 50%. Uh, you know, uh, we're in trouble. But, but I, I think I could say this because I, I've got to believe that God still works in people's heart. To look at Jesus Christ, to see what he gave, to respond the right way, to live the right way, and also to give the right way, willingly, wholeheartedly, joyfully, and faithfully. A kind of heart. That, that sings that song that we used to sing a lot, uh, The Wonderful Cross. We're the whole realm of nature mine, that we're a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. So let's pray. Not, not for more giving, but for a heart that gives. Let's pray.